know that achieving significant and quick emission reductions has proven to be challenging for many companies, which is especially true for high carbon sectors. Now, that's why transition finance is quickly turning into one of the most promising tools and concepts aimed at reaching long-term decarbonation goals. In fact, it's related to various financial tools and forms of financial support that help high carbon companies start their journey to becoming greener. To discuss more today, we have Leon Saunders-Calvert, Head of Sustainable Finance, Lipper and INA Insight, and Sean Kidney, CEO at Climate Bonds Initiative. Thank you both for joining. Let's start with describing what constitutes transition financing. So what are the standards? Well, I'll, I'll kick off. There are no um, formal standards out there yet. But essentially, transition this is about transitioning to the kind of future you want to have. Now, that's going to be in line with the Paris Agreement, which is the critical environmental target we have for the globe. And, for the, and if we don't get the Paris Agreement right, all the other environmental problems we have are not going to be able to be solved. So what does that mean? Well, it means that um, if you're an uh, oil company, you can issue green bonds for investments that you're making that are consistent of that. That will probably be things like renewables or green buildings or the like. It's possible, but we're not quite there yet, that there will be investments in fossil fuels, which will be consistent with the Paris Agreement. But that, that's a tough part. But you can certainly do stuff in, our, in uh, other areas. If you're a mining company and you're investing in, say, renewables for your mines, or you're investing in, say, minerals that are critical for the transition, like um, cobalt and the like, then you can issue green bonds for those sort of things too. And this is the new and area that we really need to start grappling with and promoting investments and in things that we haven't looked at before, but are actually really material to where we have to get to in the next 10 and 30 years. So with that, uh, Leon, could you jump in and let us know this is an area, as Sean said, that we need to move forward in, but are there any challenges that investors should know about upfront challenges regarding transition financing? And if so, what are those challenges and how can we deal with them? So short of just repeating what, what Sean just said, I think that um, the challenges, and they're not just for investors, of course, we're talking about transition financing. So this is new capital being raised. So this is partly issuers and their challenges, and as well as underwriting the investment banks, underwriting the deployment of this new capital to the market for investors to invest in. But there are no definitions about what transition financing is um, and isn't yet in the market. Um, and of course, there are good guidelines, as Sean described a second ago, associated with what are the what are the principles associated with what transition finance is. It's the, the, the transition to a low carbon economy, effectively, is what we're talking about here. But exactly what kind of new capital issuance, what type of bond or indeed loan, um, the, what does that new capital issuance need to look like? What criteria does it need to have? at the edges and around the grey parts in order to be considered transition financing. That definition, I think, is important. Um, investors want clarity um, about what, it, what the securities they're investing in. And so being really, really clear about whether or not it meets a specific criteria, whether it's a, a certified and well-understood um, security, which meets the definition of a transition bond, is probably the single biggest challenge associated with driving that as a new security in the markets. Uh, it's worth noting that in the European Union taxonomy, which will come into force from the 1st of January in Europe, 
there is already a, an outline of transition investments that are that are, that should be included, and so that'll govern European green bond issuance and finances going forward. Of course, there's, that's only the beginning of the work. There's more work to be done. At, at Climate Bonds, we'll be publishing a white paper in September at our Green Transitions Conference, outlining our view about doing this. Um, but but you know the, the key thing is, I think we've got a growing awareness that. We need to be looking beyond things that have been demonstrably and easily understood as green, renewable energy or low-carbon transport, into areas that we've generally avoid bring, avoided bringing this market in the past, which are things like the high-carbon high steel industry or, or the plastics industry. And they need to have pathways because, you know, we need these things. We need steel going forward and we need cement going forward. What are the pathway to a future that we want is? How long is it going to take? What does it mean for capex plans and investments over the next 5, 10, 15 years, not just the next year. Can we assess that? And can we come up to an understanding which gives us all confidence that we're making the right investments to address climate change and other environmental challenges? That's where the transition discussion is. And already you've seen transition bonds in the market. We've seen quite a few. We might argue for a couple of them, but nevertheless, they're in the same spirit of it. And as we develop a deeper understanding of what these sectoral pathways look like in steel and cement and plastics and mining and so on, we will get a rule set and we will get a, a clarity and that'll make it easy for people to figure out whether they're part of this market. This is going to change very quickly. By the end of this year, you will see a bunch of rules, the European Union taxonomy, the climate bond standard, uh, the ICMA green, uh, uh, green bond principles, I've got a transitions working group, all of these important intellectual efforts and science-based efforts will come to market. And suddenly, there'll be a boom. There's an, there's an important aspect there, um, Keith, uh, you know, adding on to what Sean said there, which is typically um, there's in the past been this sort of sense in which a, a company which is very, very in a very carbon-intensive sector, how could they possibly issue a green bond? They're obviously incredibly carbon-intensive. There are you know, fossil fuels manufacturing, metals and mining, automobiles, whatever it might be. And of course, transition financing is a really important part of that. It's not just about identifying that particular sector as bad. It's about identifying what can companies in that sector do in order to raise financing to allow them to make the transition. Um, and that's why those definitions, I think, are, are so important and, that, and the maturity of the market in that space will really allow, allow that boom to take place that, that Sean's referring to. Okay, let's talk about regulation. How does regulation enter here? And is it really acting as a driver or is it being seen more as a barrier? Leon and Sean. Um, look, I, I, my suggestion would be that regulation in this space is is useful. Clearly, you always want to avoid the, the challenge of over-regulation, unnecessary regulation, or or certainly not um, overly sanctimonious regulation, if you like. But certainly, the the requirement to create a degree of standardization such the investor community can really establish what it is that they are buying into, and they understand what that looks like, what that means, what expectations are um, of, of, uh, of purchasing into those securities, I think is really important. And so the requirement on standardization is very, very useful. Now, does that all need to be regulation? I think that's an open question. I think the regulation can be a useful driver here. Um, but, but of course, there's a degree of standardization that markets can reach, which is independent of regulation as well. Regulation tends to be a very, very long-winded process, takes a long time to instigate, or, or often for very good reason. But there may be a degree of standardization that the market can reach, which is not entirely dependent on, on regulation. Um, 
But Sean, what were you what were you going to comment on there? Yeah, no, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, if you look at the growth of the green bond market, it's grown through voluntary market measures of various sorts and efforts to provide to develop standardization around reporting and transparency. Those efforts are now being taken up by governments in China and in Europe and in some other countries because they're bringing in incentives. And when you have incentives, you have to have a fairly tight framework for what's in and what's out. But the, it's actually developed quite well without those kinds of regulation. I don't think transition investments are being driven by regulation. I think they've been driven by investor appetite for to expand the understanding, partly based on the green bonds uh, market, which has been very successful, and a growing appreciation that the frontier is more complicated than the sort of things we've looked at so far. But of course, in Europe, we, we are talking about incentives going forward. And so as a result, a regulation is coming in around uh, the disclosure around it and taxonomy and various other measures. And um, you know, we've been involved, in fact, um, Refinity has been involved too through its um, fantastic staff member, Elena Filipova, who served on the technical expert group on sustainable finance and members of lots of asset owners and banks involved in that. So the European regulation has been driven, has been, I should say, developed very much with an industry technical expert group. So hopefully it'll stand the test of a, of a practical and usable uh, regulation by the time it comes in. But it is necessary if we're going to have incentives. You know, you saw Christine Lagarde last week saying fairly clearly that green QE is going to become a feature of the European Central Bank's purchasing program. Um, she has previously said, and she said in her submission to the European Commission a couple of weeks ago around what they should be doing around their action plan of stable finance, that a developed taxonomy is something the ECB needs for it to be able to have a proper preferencing program. Hey, incentives, taxonomy becomes really useful here and, and a form of regulation. Not a, not a burdensome, but just clarity for us all. So I, I think that's inevitable. In China, where incentives are a feature of the green bond market, you get cheaper capital the liquidity lending window of the central bank if you um, post green bonds as collateral, 1% cheaper. You've got to have clear definitions, and they've brought them in. Same sort of principle. Now, they haven't tackled transitions yet. The European Commission work has tackled transitions or, and mapped out a path to do more of it in the future. We're now going to see that happen in China in the next few months as a result of um, some discussions we're having, the, having there. Uh, so this will be evolving. But, you know, this market's going to take off without that coming into force. So I'd love talk about the concept of what, what we expect for the um, near future. So we're looking, you know, 2021, for example. And just to give some context, I know that in April, I think about $12.7 billion worth of social impact bonds were issued around the world. And so that really was a jaw dropper. And I'm just wondering in terms of expectation for next year, do we expect to see the numbers in social bonds? We expect to see those numbers. What are your thoughts about transition bonds in terms of sheer numbers? Do you expect there to be just tremendous growth, you expect it to be more gradual. So um, I think that you have to imagine that the growth of transition bonds, um, it's relatively small today. It's starting. The market is, is there. The demand is certainly there. You have to imagine that it's going gonna, it's gonna to increase. Um, you know, you've, got this, you've got this challenge, which, which transition bonds are a really important um, uh, sort of solution for. You've got this challenge where, where you know, we identify the amount of capital that is required to 
to move globally, uh, to move the global economy to a low carbon economy. But it's very, very difficult to judge how much capital has actually been deployed to those outcomes, both in terms of new capital raised, but also, of course, in terms of deployment of capital from individual corporate balance sheets and, and other places. But in terms of the new capital being raised, you obviously can't limit um, the amount of, of capital being raised just when you look at green bonds. It's looking more broadly across transition bonds and, and other forms of financing, where you enable um, an understanding of what is the delta between where we need to be and where we are today and, and get a much, much better sense of that. And so I think that the growth of transition bonds is likely to increase very, very drastically um, over the course of the next couple of years. But I, I think the social space is, is a slightly different space. Social financing space is slightly different. That is also growing very, very rapidly. This year, the, the growth of social bonds has increased exponentially, as, as partly as a result of, of course, COVID-19 and COVID-19 financing um, associated with that. So, uh, But it doesn't seem to have come at the expense of the green and the climate bond space and the transition bond space. So that continues to grow along with the social um, financing growing at a phenomenal rate. And I guess this gives me the opportunity to plug very, very briefly the, the new sustainable finance league tables, which is intended to cover the entire wallet, the entire financing space across asset classes of new capital being raised, whether it's green bonds, whether it's transition bonds, whether it's social bonds, whether it's loans that are being raised to support this, these outcomes. Um, the, the, the new league tables report that, that we're releasing this week is, is designed to capture all of that financing to get a much better view of the entire wallet, which is, which is contributing to uh, sustainable outcomes. Sean, are your expectations the same? Well, to, to just a couple of points up front, my expectations are the same, but let me give you a bit of color to this. this there's been a, a proliferation of children of the green bond market, which is fantastic. So first we saw sustainability bonds, which are sort of hybrid social green, a bit of both. We've seen social bonds, we've seen blue bonds, uh, we've seen even a pink bond, by the way, a gender bond that came out of the World Bank. So the idea of thematic issuance, where you're offering a product which is a similar risk and yield to others, but with the proceeds are being allocated as a kind of bonus feature to addressing an area which is seen of concern or of risk or a priority for investors, is now well and truly established. This is a plus trillion dollar market if you put them all together. In fact, it's a well over a trillion. Um, and, we will, and this year, the big growth has been pandemic, COVID slash social bonds, using exactly the same format as the green bond market, another child of, and that's grown. And you will see rule sets developing around that fairly quickly too. That's the backstory. Now, really, capital is saying, hang on, I can have my lunch. I can have my cake and eat it too, I should say, which is that I can get comparable yield and I can address issues that are very of great concern to my stakeholders and my long-term risk managers because these aren't feel-good issues. These are issues that the actuaries are worried about over long-term and the question is how to reconcile that short-term portfolio management. That's the background to it. Now, in the transition, loan, transition bond sector, we've already seen a vast growth of transition loans of various sorts. This has been happening for a while on bank balance sheets. So when it starts appearing in bonds, it's not totally fresh. It's a translation of loans into bond products, a repackaging and so on, that you're going to start seeing happening. So it's been going. We're not seeing this as an entirely separate market. All of these things are about how we improve our society. The environmental flavoured ones, the green, the blue, the, the transition, are all part of still addressing the climate challenges we face, the Paris Climate Change Agreement, 
but also addressing other issues or different kinds of issues. Where transition bonds have got going was companies that were seen as too brown to be cream, but actually what they're doing is relevant. So it started off as a marketing idea, pushed them as transition. We're saying, yes, we need to bring those companies into the limelight because they're doing really good work. They need to be recognised as such. And recognition is quite important, right? You know, in the European market at the moment, if you issue a green bond as a corporate, you get a stock price balance and it stays up. So there's that kind of recognition of the halo. It's a halo, I think, if you like, coming from issuance, which investors are uh, beginning to take advantage of. Now, we want to bring in all these other companies too, like steel companies from SSAB and Scandinavia that's bringing zero net carbon steel to market by 2026, or Bowu in China that's doing the same thing, or shipping companies like Maersk and NYK that are shifting in, that are investing in changing the propulsion of shipping into this market. And they've generally not had much space, much limelight. So this is a way of doing that. We hope that people can treat this in two ways. At the end of the day, we do think it's important to maintain a holistic picture of all of these elements in it. I kind of like one large liquid market, so we don't have any liquidity premiums for new players coming in. But there are clearly differentiations that are useful to have to understand the kind of entities and the kind of companies coming. There is a difference between, say, Repsol and Vestas. So if Repsol invests in qualifying investments, they're currently seen as a brown company, they'll probably do a transition bond. And we think that's really important to give rec recognition to Repsol. And over time, some of their gas investments will probably become qualifying as well once we have a clearer understanding of how that works in relation to the climate change agreement. And for me, that's why it'll grow, because not only are we uncovering these loads that are out there already, but we're just going to bring in whole industries, whoosh, into the sector, who've generally been out of the limelight, unrecognised and unappreciated at a time when the demand for thematic product is being proven to be huge and vast. And uh, that's why it'll grow, really. So, yes, I agree with Leon. This will be a fast-growing segment. Wow. So some great points there. First of all, yield as well as addressing important issues, always um, a gold star for that, recognizing companies that are doing good work. And then a bit of talk about the possibilities around one large liquid market, all of that pointing to the fact that we can expect to see tremendous demand. Sean, Leon, thank you so much for joining us. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.